This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever podcast where we have an action-packed week. We've got a double bonus Premier League fixtures, we've got some injury drama and we've got an FA Cup draw. Joining me this week is regular panellist James Bird as ever and we're also joined by guest panellist Daniel Bentley. Gentlemen, good evening. Hello. Good evening. Hello. Um, we've got lots to talk about this week so I'm just going to jump straight in there. Um, before we sort of dissect the games on a more detailed basis. I just want to get both of your views from, I guess, where you feel at the end of last week. The Clarets were faced with two very tricky away games, actually, away on Bournemouth on Tuesday night and then away at Leicester at the King Power on Saturday. Um, two fixtures last season, which would have left us cowering in horror at this time of the year with our um, away form. Um, but ones where we felt kind of positive going into this week. We expected them to be tricky, but we also expected the Clarets to come out quite well. As a result, we won at Bournemouth quite comfortably in the end. And um, even though we did succumb to a loss away at Leicester, the Clarets did put in certainly a very good first half performance. James, I'll start with you. How do you feel at the end of that week? What's your thoughts? It seems a little strange to say, but almost slightly disappointed. Um, you know, as you said, we, we played quite well over the two games and really to come away with only three points out of the two feels like uh, a poor return on on our efforts. I thought um, Leicester, we definitely deserved something out of the game. And if it wasn't for that one sort of early lapse, um, I think we would have got it. And um, it's strange to say at this stage, when you think about last season's away form, that you could possibly be saying that uh, that there's maybe a a little hint of disappointment after two games like that. But I think... um, you know, not not pushing on from from the work we did at Bournemouth and not taking advantage of uh, how good we looked at Leicester, it just leaves you feeling just not quite as excited uh, about us as, as you did beforehand. But um, still, uh, three good points on the road, which I think you've got to take into account coming into this time of year. Yeah, I think I would probably agree with that. Daniel, where's your thoughts? Do you think that three points out of six was good enough? Do you think that's above expectations as we are in the league? What's your thoughts after that week? I have the same basic thoughts as James, but uh, I'm not as <laughs> I'm not as pessimistic. I'm not as down about it. I think uh, I don't think you learned a lot about Burnley this week. I think you you know you've got two away games, uh, great performance at, at Bournemouth, and uh, you know a, a disappointment at Leicester, but still a you know a better away performance than most games we had last season, um, save for you know uh, you know dodgy goalkeeping or or not, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to. And, uh, you know, a couple of chances that we just didn't take. Um, you know, we could have got a point or a win out of that. So the the, the, the basic performance was there. It the, the result wasn't. And that's gonna that's gonna happen in the Premier League. I'm not too I'm not too down about it. I think over the course of the season these things balance themselves out. You're gonna get games like that. Um, but then we had a fantastic game at Bournemouth. So I, you know, I, I'm happy with this week. It could be a business to get three points in any week in the Premier League. Yeah, I think that's that's a really fair point. You've, you've got to look at these games, haven't you, and think that, I, th- I guess, the blueprint for, for Premier League uh, a season, I guess, is to try and win all your home games and any points you get away from home are a bonus because everybody's fighting for those home points because away points are so rare. So to actually take three from six is a, is a pretty decent return. I'm going to... St- 
stick with the Bournemouth game then first, given that that was the first one in the um, fixture list and the one that we won at. Um, James, it was a really clinical performance, I thought, and two very good goals. I was particularly impressed with the passing game. I think that our midfielders were playing a very, very classy game in midfield. And, and a lot of the feedback from the game was that the Burnley boys were just showing some really, really entertaining football are we finally shaking off that long ball direct tag? And can we now be seen as a side that actually plays some really attractive football in this league? I think it's funny you say that because after the game, I believe Josh King said that Burnley were really, uh, you know, a really clear long ball side. So I think the reputation still sticks, but there's been two games in a row there with Arsenal and Bournemouth where I think we were anything but a long ball side. Um, you know, the first half against Arsenal, as we said last week, I think some of the passive move on show was uh, exquisite. And, and, and we saw the same again against Bournemouth, that first goal. Um, you know, some great movement in there. And, and yes, it's a more direct uh, method of put it, that, you know, the passes aren't uh, you know, five yarders all the way from our keeper to, to their area. But there's just, a, you know, some lovely touches in there. The one from Brady back to Cork and then, uh, you know, the pass across the across the penalty area. So it's it's a goal from six yards at the end of the day and that's not something you can do is just strictly a long ball team because obviously you'd be caught offside almost at every time. Um so to still be stuck with a tag I think it, it's just a bit um say I'm I'm not one of the, the teams so I'm not quite insulted but I'd say it I'd imagine as one of the players it, it's quite insulting to have that tag attached to us because it's just not how we play at all. Um you know, we like to play to feet and we like to play simple passing and it just seems doesn't seem to be reflecting in our uh, reputation at the moment. Yeah, that's true. And I don't think it helps either that we had the managerial merry-go-round that we've just been through and that the persistent talk about Sean Dyche to, to Burnley and some very, sorry, to Everton. Sean Dyche is already at Burnley. I would like to clarify that. Um, the, the, all the rumours all the time of Dyche going to Everton and we had some quite high profile um, analysis, didn't we, that, that Dyche would never be considered for one of these big clubs because he plays direct long ball football. So that's probably not helping. Um, Daniel, Going sort of before we turned to the, to the goals and, and the classy play, we were hit a little bit before the game started with a, an injury blow to Matt Lawton, who was um, who didn't make the game and, and instead was replaced by um, Barsley, who made his, his debut for the, for the Clarets, uh, certainly starting debut. Now, that's the first time this season that that defence has been broken up that way, certainly the back four. Were you impressed? Were you concerned? Or you know, do, do you think that now we've just got such good cover in that defence that it doesn't really matter who goes and comes, we can pretty much ride it out. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, Barsley just slotted in and it was, you know, a very good um, performance at fullback, um, slide into the team and uh, maybe didn't give us the attacking edge that Lawton does, but did a great job uh, defending. Uh, it reminded me, the situation anyway, of um, there was a recent New York Times article on Burnley and uh, and how we defend and how we defend as a unit and you know it's it's two banks of four it's the most no nonsense type of defending um, but we do it extremely well and I think on the training on the training ground we practice defending drills which not a lot of teams actually do it's a lot more um, attack minded in on the training ground but we do these defensive drills a lot. Um, according to this story anyway. Uh, and it shows, it shows that, you know, even the next man up is ready to slot into the system, knows what his job is and knows what everyone around him is going to be doing. And you just look at uh, defending, you look at every time, you know, the opposition's on attack. Um, you know, even with the, the, the Leicester goal, you know, we can, we can wait for that, but we're still in two banks of four. We're still very organized. It was a sneaky ball to get past us but this is a very very well organized defense and uh and it makes it it makes the job easy for if you're if you're Bardsley and you come in and uh and it's not unsettling uh obviously we want Matt Lowton back as soon as possible but uh, uh no it job well done yeah, I quite like the fact that actually we, we very much adopt the Sean Dyche mantra on the Known and Ever podcast in that we're all big Matt Lawton fans here and, and we're all very much uh, championing his praises. And, and Dan, Daniel Bentley slides in and just adopts um, as, as cover for obviously this week and then just adopts the Known and Ever approach of championing Matt Lawton. You see, it's just seamless. We just like to follow his style. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you with that, Daniel. I think um, we always worry a little bit, don't we, because our defence is so, so solid and because it is 
well known and, and well drilled, like you say, that just the slightest disruption to that is going to set um, a whole chain reaction of, of doom coming along. Um, but we've we've seen it this season. Nick Pope came in and has done a fantastic job as, as cover for Tom Heaton, and now Barsley's slotted in. We've also seen as well in cup games, Charlie Taylor's done a great job at, at right back as well. So. I'm I'm feeling really confident with our defence, and I, I think, like you say, it's not just the quality of um, squad players that can come in and play that defence. It's just that just relentless training and development and discipline that Deitch is, is slotting into his side. Um, James, I think one of the the final points are on the Bournemouth game. I think it's one of those where I could probably talk about the Bournemouth game all night, just because it, I thought it was a, a brilliant display from Burnley. I thought it was entertaining, it was clinical, and it was just a great three points. Um, but I do want to move on, on to Leicester just to, to have a look at that next. But James, we did have that sort of nervous last 10 minutes of a game again when um, Bournemouth managed to, to pull one back and we all had that sinking feeling that uh, we might end up defending too deep and inviting an equaliser and, and really gift Bournemouth an equaliser that they just did not deserve but the Clarets really managed to, to keep you know to to keep them out and to, to maintain the, the three points I've been worried a little bit recently about Burnley's and we did this against Arsenal but Burnley's perhaps I don't know if it's nervousness or whether it's just a, a tactic of just defending very very deep in the last minute of, of last 10 minutes of a game and really inviting a lot of pressure not perhaps clearing the lines as well as, as they were going to do. But they, they seem to recover from that, um, the Arsenal game away at Bournemouth, and they seem to actually see out the game quite comfortably. And, and in the end, it didn't really feel like Bournemouth were going to get that equaliser. Do you think we are... I think this is another thing where we can add to Burnley maybe um, learning the lessons from last season and even learning the lessons from previous games this season and actually knowing how to be disciplined for the full 93, 95 minutes and seeing games out? I think we've been seeing it all season, really. Um, I think a, a big mark of last season was those late goals we conceded in both halves of the game, not just at the end of the game, but both halves. Uh, I think we seemed to almost get to injury time and suddenly start inviting pressure onto us. And it, it was one that probably cost us quite a few results, um, you know, particularly draw, uh, defeats that we could have had uh, draws from. Um, and in comparison, I think we've seen it very little this season. I think there's only really the Arsenal game where I felt we almost slipped back into that old way of inviting a lot of pressure late on. Um, and obviously, ultimately, that did cost us when we, we, we conceded the penalty. But for the most part, we seem to have really learned from from that in the past. And we've, we've done a much better job of uh, trying to keep hold of the ball when we go to clear it, because uh, that's a, a big part of it. Um, a big part of it is just the, the way we ta- kind of clear it. And we've got so many men back that the other team just get the opportunity to collect the ball and, and go again. But we've clearly learned from that. And to, to only concede one from that late pressure at Bournemouth, I think showed that um, our, our defence has, has been exceptional this season. And particularly when you consider that, obviously, it was only three quarters of the usual defence. So, um, to see Bardsley come into the side and it not really make a difference to the way we defend, I think it was extremely positive because, you know, while I'm sure Lawton will come straight back into the side when he's available, it, it's nice to know you've got people uh, waiting in the wings who can, can slot in and it, not miss a beat. And uh, I think that's really important for us, particularly as, you know, the season drags on and there's going to be suspensions and there's going to be further injuries. Uh, we really need to see people capable of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Daniel, is there anything that you sort of felt that we were lacking in the Bournemouth game or just, I guess, as a summary, were you happy with the performance? Do you share the general view that it was a very classic performance by the Clarets? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the the best uh, away performances we've had this season. Uh, There's not really a lot you can complain about there. Uh, I think uh, to your point about, you know, inviting pressure in the last 10 minutes, I think that's maybe just a result of how many times we've been up 1-0 in, in games and, and won and seen it out. And I think any time you, you're winning 1-0, or even if it's if it's a tied game, the, the, your opponent is going to you know throw everything in the kitchen sink at you, and, and you, you are going to be on the back foot. I think that's just a, the natural flow of, of the game. Um, but we've, we've shown that we can sort of... Uh, we can definitely weather those periods. I don't feel as nervous when we're we're defending that deep as uh, as in past seasons, just because 
it's it, it's uh, I will I will refer to this New York Times article again. Again, I'll, I encourage everyone to read it if they haven't already. But it, it it breaks down statistically how we defend, and we invite actually a quite high number of shots, but they're extremely low percentage shots. And um, I think that showed. I think you know we can we can defend deep, and, and teams might get a shot off, but very very rarely are the uh, good solid chances. Uh, based on how uh, and how uh, quiet Nick Pope has been kept uh, over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll make sure we put a link to that um, New York Times article in the show notes so listeners can uh, can look at that quite easily. Um, so let's move away from the Bournemouth game and let's have a look at this weekend's game again, a second away fixture this week away at Leicester. Not traditionally a happy hunting ground for the Clarets and we always knew going into this game that it would be a very tricky game. I think the King, King Power's a, a tough place to go and play. I think Leicester are a very good side, you know, apart from a, a few losses, uh, sorry, a couple of losses. You know, this is a side that a couple of years ago won the Premier League and and despite all of the, the stars aligning for that season for them, you know, it does still take a lot to win that league over the course of a season. So I knew that this was going to be a tough fixture. Um, and as it turned out, it was, and it was a one-goal loss to Burnley, um, a really disappointing goal to concede in the very early stages of that game. Um, despite the Clarets' best efforts, and certainly, again, I thought another very good performance in the first half especially, we just couldn't find that goal to bring us back level or get anything out of the game. So, Daniel, I'm going to stick with you with this Leicester game. I think in terms of the Leicester goal, I think how disappointed is it for us a, as a defence as a whole and for Nick Pope individually? Uh, as a, as a defence, like I said, the uh, the team actually is in. If you if you watch the goal on replay, they're in a completely tight bank, two banks of four, and the all every single defender is in the right position. Um, the cross that comes in is just one of those where it's so scabby. It just nicks in between every player and it catches Pope a bit off guard and he, he parries it away and he parries it into to Gray's path and Gray just comes in at full pelt and, and, and whacks it in and whacks himself in in, in the process. Um, but there's, I mean, other than Pope could have, you know, parried it away from the the oncoming attacker. Actually, defensively, it wasn't that bad. Uh, we did struggle to get the the, the ball out. Uh, we had a couple of chances to clear it that weren't... Uh, they didn't find a man on the end and we didn't really regain possession. They they managed to hold, hold on to for possession far too long. Um, but, you know, in terms of shape, the, it, it was just one of those goals where they, they just beat us with a with a cross that was just very, very sly and got through. Um, I was, you know, it's any any goal you can see is disappointing, but that's just one of those ones that, that, that they scored against you, and you you hope that your team can come back with uh, with a bit of attacking threat and, and and deal them some damage on the other end. And, and unfortunately, that just wasn't to be in this game. We had a couple of chances. Uh, what are a couple of chances? Tarks did. Just one of those games where uh, a pretty decent performance by Casper Schmeichel just uh, just kept us out of it. Yeah, it's, it is disappointing. It's like you say, it, to, to be on the back foot so early. Um, I think uh, my initial view, and, and again, this is, is, I think this is credit to how good the, the cross was. When I first saw the goal, I, I kind of questioned I guess both me and Tarkovsky, maybe Tarkovsky, I, I felt when I first saw it, I thought, oh, is he daydreaming a little bit there? Has he been caught out? But when you watch it over and over again, you realise that, yeah, Daniel, you're quite right, that the defenders are in a, such a great position. They're doing exactly what they've been told to do and exactly what they do week in, week out. But they've just been caught by, just like you say, one of those crosses. Um James, that, that obviously left us on the back foot from very early in that game. And, and we have talked on the podcast before about the Burnley blueprint for games, especially this current side of getting ahead in the game and then defending that lead for their lives. And that's made us very, very difficult to beat. On the flip side of that, I'm not entirely convinced yet that we have nailed our ability to be able to counteract that. So when we go behind in a game, how do we find a way through a defence and a side that's going to do exactly the same thing to us? 
let's take Saturday um, at, in the Leicester game. I thought that the Clarets in the first half were fantastic and really Leicester didn't have any other chances in that first half. They looked, you know, they were very much on the back foot all the way through the game. And the Clarets were pushing and pushing and creating some really good football. Um, but we just couldn't find that goal. So how do we how do we get into these games when we go a goal behind? Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I think what we did... I don't think you can really fault the way we've played. You, you know, we've we've created chances, we've we've not taken them. And I think it comes back to actually on the on the most part this season, um, we, we've not really scored a lot of goals. Um, obviously, we've we've won a lot, but we've won a lot of games by one goal margins. And um, you know, when you go behind early, it, even one goal is only going to get you a draw back. And when you played the way we did on Saturday, I really thought we could have easily got all three points if. We'd been able to finish our opportunities, and um, I think it just comes down to, to improving our general play and looking to uh, get ourselves into better goal-scoring opportunities and try and take those chances when they present themselves. Because we've seen that we can do it. There's been games where we scored more than one, uh, and sometimes when it clicks, we we just look like we could score all day. But there, there's not been that many goals in our side yet this season, and I think what we need to do is try and look for that key to actually finish our chances and. Um, it's been one of those things where I think that there's no one really to to blame. I don't think anyone's really playing poorly or, um, you know, missing clear-cut chances. I think we've just been exceptionally unlucky in a lot of cases. Yeah, that's that's really interesting um, that, that you see it from that view. And obviously it is hugely encouraging. I guess it's it always feels more frustrating, doesn't it, that there isn't an answer, there isn't something that you can improve on. If, if everybody's doing what they, they need to be able to do, then... How do you find a way through that? Um, for the second game in recent times, Deitch tried to go for it by bringing on Ashley Barnes to play alongside Wood. I'm not sure it worked that well again in that I think once we did bring um, Barnes and Wood up front, the two of them, the chances seemed to go a little bit. I don't think we were maybe as um, creative as we were when we just had the 4-5-1. Um, do we think we have again looking at this as an answer to how do we get back into the game once we do go behind do we do we think we have a formation of strikers with the current strikers that we have that works to have both of them on the pitch and if so Daniel which ones would you choose um I think with uh with our three main strikers right now I don't think there's a, a system that works too well um maybe of of all the combinations Barnes and Vokes might be the best. Uh, they've had some success in the past, but but really, I don't think I don't think we have the the the, the men to to pull it off until um, until maybe Wells comes in and, and shows that some what he can do. Um, I think he's the type of play, you know type of forward who can play with another striker. Um, Vokes is definitely you know he plays a lot better when he has a partner. Um, with Ings and Gray, that was uh, blatantly obvious. Um, so I just don't think we have the personnel for uh, to start with the four four two. I think it's it's fine if you're chasing a game and you just need to 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 find a target and find one of two men up front and give some defenders a bit of bother. Um, but starting until until Wells comes in and shows what he can do, or until we get another striker who's more in that Ings grey smaller more agile mold then uh, I don't think it's going to pan out for us yeah well just I think just picking up on that point you just made there Daniel why do you think then given that out of all of our current strikers Vox is the one that shows more natural tendencies to play with a partner why do you think Barnes is getting the nod over um, Vox when he's leaving Wood on the pitch uh I don't know I think I think I think Vokes works as the target man, and if you've got Wood on as well, then Wood is a more natural target man than than Vokes is. And I think Barnes has a bit more that he can do with his legs and with his body. Um, so maybe that's why. That's the only thing I can think of. Barnes can occasionally just get a shot off from his feet from distance and, and whack it in, and uh, I won't. There's not many examples of Oaks doing something similar. So that's maybe why. So that's all I can think of. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, James, again, Daniel picked up on on the the guy waiting in the wings, wings wells to see when he can get his chance. Do you think in games like this, it's time that we just threw caution to the wind and get him on and see what he can do? Or again, why do you think 
Dyche is holding on to him for some reason. Um, I'm not sure. I think he's just waiting for the opportunity that he, he's really going to fit into the side. Um, to be honest, I've been a little bit puzzled by this, you know, late switching to to four four two late in some of the games because it just doesn't really seem to to offer anything more than we've had with one up front. So I've been surprised a few times to see Defoe taken off, uh, particularly when he, he's look like he's pulling all the strings in the middle um, to to just bring on an, another big lad up front, and it just doesn't seem to really give us much more of an outlet. Um, I think what would be interesting to see with uh, Narky Wells is whether now that Brady looks like he's going to be out for quite a long time, whether he could maybe play out wide and uh, and contribute there. Because I think you know, it's something we used to do a lot at the turf with uh, sort of Jay Rodriguez and a, a few others where we play a striker out wide as a more advanced sort of winger uh, and try and use both the, the pace they have and obviously the finishing ability they've got to, to our advantage. I think it could be interesting to see if that's something that maybe Wells could do for us. Exactly. And I think in an absolutely seamless transition there, that brings us very nicely on to the big headline of of the Leicester game. And that was, of course, the serious injury to Robbie Brady that saw him leave the field on a stretcher with his leg in a brace in um, some extreme distress, which is incredibly sad news for for Robbie and and for everybody at the club. And and obviously it goes without saying that we are all keeping our fingers crossed that it isn't perhaps as serious as was first feared and that we do get him back and playing and fit as quickly as possible. Um, unfortunately, it certainly doesn't look that way. Darch himself has, has come out and said he's he's fearing that it's going to be more serious than it isn't. Um, James, let's stick with you then. Um, obviously, you, you did mention that a moment ago with, with Brady's lengthy um, layoff. How? Let's stick with one specific train of thought to start off with. How much of a miss is he going to be to this current squad? I mean, that's quite a, an interesting question to go with to start with because I've actually felt like uh, these past maybe three or four games, we, we're starting to see what we really paid for in Robbie Brady. Um, even before then this season, he's sort of been a little bit in and out, a little bit hit and miss. Uh, he's been very, very much like a lot of wingers are, a little bit streaky. But I think the last couple of games, he's been exceptional all game. Um, and the same goes for Goodmanson on the other side. And it's been really looking like we've got a, you know, a, a really settled midfield as well as a settled defence. And there's sort of really not much to debate come match day about uh, what the lineup's going to be. However, obviously with him now uh, being injured in, in pretty unfortunate circumstances, and I, I don't know whether anything else has been said about it since the weekend, but. You know, I was hearing talk of, you know, maybe it's an ACL or even a, a ruptured kneecap, which I think are both injuries that had, you know, result in quite a lengthy time on the sidelines. Um, we're going to have to find out now what can we do without him. Um, I think it, imminently it's probably going to mean the return of Scott Arfield to, to play in the midfield. Um, and it seems strange to, to think someone who's been so key to our teams over the last couple of seasons. I've actually almost forgot any plays for us. Um, in in recent weeks, we've we've looked that good and that settled in midfield that you know the no one's been getting a sniff, uh, you know even a sniff of opportunity to come in. So it's going to be interesting to see how he handles, uh, you know, being thrown back in the deep end. Um, I think that, that there might be um, a minor positive to it is that it seems like recently Brady's sort of taken over full control of set pieces and we seem reluctant to let anyone else have an opportunity. Uh, and I think he's been sort of almost forcing it, trying to look to score the, um, you know, the sensational free kick from areas that it just aren't really easy area to hit the ball from. And you would have maybe liked to see DeFore strike it from. So I think that, you know, the, the very, very slight silver lining on the cloud is that, we might see a little bit more variation in what we do with set pieces. Um, but he's going to be a massive miss. The, the way he's been playing in recent weeks, I think um, he's really started to show that he's £13 million worth of winger. And to be you know, without him now is, is bitterly disappointing. And I think it makes uh, a winger a, a big target for January. Yeah, it really does. Um, so let's pick up on that then, Daniel, and I'm going to come across to you. So obviously, we, James has talked us through, and I think we probably all very much agree with this in, in just how much of a miss he's going to be in this current squad, predominantly because of how well he's been performing recently and just how um, well that midfield together have all been playing. So the, I'm going to move the question, which Bird touched on slightly then, but I'm going to put that to you. Assuming then that we're all comfortable that we are going to miss him, what do we do about it? 
Uh, well, we're how many days away from the January window? Uh, I think the board has to put their hands in the pockets if Brady's going to be out for any length of time. Um, we're in such a, a, a fantastic position in the league, and we have to just take advantage of being in that position and, and you know get to the finish line. And I really think that there's just no one in the squad right now who is just going to slot in as naturally as at, at, at wing. Uh, and deliver the performances that Robbie Brady's capable of. Uh, it's funny. Uh, last time I was on the podcast, uh, a good few weeks ago now, I was I was jeered from the peanut gallery for 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 praising some of uh, Robbie Brady's work, and it just goes to show. In the, in the last couple of weeks, he, he really did turn it on. Um, so it, it, yeah, it is a huge loss, and and um, I, I think it it is going to cause us a lot of headaches for, for the month of December anyway. Scott Arfield, uh, great lad, great servant to the club, but just not up to at the level uh, on the wing. Uh, and, you know, that, that might be a shout that, that James mentioned, bringing, bringing Wells in um, and playing more of a, a 4-3-3 like we did with uh, uh, Danny Ings when he first started coming in. Um, and... Uh, and Jay Rodriguez did it, and Ashley Barnes has done it on an occasion. It's not actually uh, – we've actually looked all right when we've done it on, on the occasions we've had to do it, so might be worth a shot if uh, if we're struggling uh, through this month. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think you're right, Daniel. You know, we've got a balance here of what we do in the short term before we get to January and, and then obviously what we do in January. Taking the current month first, then, yeah, you're right, we're going to have to make do and – and I, you kind of got to look at it and see what you think Deitch will do. And I, I kind of feel that he will try and not to disrupt the side very much. And I think if he can keep the shape of this team that's been performing as well as it has been for, for the rest of the month, um, I think we're more likely to see Scott Arfield play in, in a direct replacement for Brady so that everybody else is still in that role. Um I do agree with you about the, like you say, if it's a lengthy layoff, we are going to have to, to buy another winger in January. The problem with that, of course, is, is, the, is the cost of them. Good wingers and a good attacking wingers don't come cheap. But I want to just pick up on one of the points you did say there, Daniel, because what we will find, which I think we've never found before in a Premier League transfer window, is suddenly we are very, oh, like you say, a very attractive proposition. We've managed to keep hold of Sean Dyche and everybody loves Sean Dyche at the moment and, and players will want to work for him. And we're sitting comfortably in the table. We're only, 50, we're only five wins away from safety. So I think players can come to us safe in the knowledge that if they come and sign for us, they'll get at least 18 months of Premier League football, um, or hopefully much more than that. So... James, I mean, I guess just as a, as a final word on that, do you agree with that in that we just make do up until January and then sign a new player to replace Brady in January? Um, if so, do you think it's um, a purchase of another winger or do you think we could maybe look to the loan, jan- to the loan market sorry, in January and bring in maybe a better quality um, strike, uh, sorry, better better quality winger for maybe less money so we don't have to, to buy another expensive winger? I think it's difficult and it's one really, I guess, for Dash and the, the, the board to assess when they know the extent of uh, Brady's injury. Um, you know, signing a, a player of Brady's ability permanently is going to cost us at least what Brady cost, if if not a little bit more now, because the market seems to have moved on sort of in the 12 months or so since. Um, so you could be looking at, you know, 15 million. Um, and then it, it puts you in a difficult position, I think, when Brady's back, because... Uh, on current form, Goodmanson looks incredible. I, I don't think you'd want to take him out the side. Uh, Brady obviously has, has played really well, but he's he's now out injured, and obviously he has to win his place back. But you're then yeah. talking about maybe having two two players of that sort of quality who are fighting for one place in the side, and and can you keep them both happy at the same time? I think it's um, it's difficult for a, a side like ours where we we do like to be really settled to to try and keep so many, you know big players happy and I think that's part of what's really worked in our favour with our sort of squad size we tend to have is that um, it's easier to keep people happy because they're always sort of one player one injury away from from coming in or um, you know one suspension coming in and getting the opportunity to to show what they can do whereas if you're sort of two or three players down the pecking order it's obviously a lot lot more difficult to see where your future's coming from Um, but again 
can you get a player of the, the quality of Brady on the low market? Um, it, it's difficult to say, and I think really we just have to take a look at sort of what happens over the next uh, two or three weeks and how whoever comes in uh, performs, uh, how we're performing. Um, obviously, what the prognosis is for for Brady before we really make a decision, but it, it's going to be a, a difficult difficult decision to make because um, it, it's not the best time of year to to shop in anyway January, so it, it's going to be very hard to to find someone who can do what Robbie Brady can do at that time of year. Yeah, it really is. It's uh, it's worrying times, like you say. It's probably your worst nightmare, isn't it? When you, when you've got a squad that's that's together as this one is and is performing as well as it is to lose a key player, especially when the board have outspent themselves and they ever have done. Um, Daniel, do you have any final comments on that before we move on to to the Watford preview? Yeah, I mean, just on the on the the cost of, of replacing uh, Brady, uh, you know, if we have to shell out fifteen million quid, that's the that's the spending level we're at now, and we should feel comfortable doing it. So, I'm not worried about if we have to spend fifteen million quid to to sign a winger, and I'm not too worried about the problem that if you have three very good wingers when uh, when Brady's back, I think that's a very nice problem to have. Uh, I, I definitely don't think. Uh, alone is is going to be that i mean i was just thinking you just think back about the success or lack of success that burnley's had with loans in recent years i think the last very successful loan player that we had is, is jack hawk um who we had to then sign six years later so uh I think we should just be looking to to reinforce the squad at every opportunity january is a great opportunity to reinforce the squad there'll be uh players who are you know outperforming their team in the championship so maybe they're not in a, a promotion contender but they're they're an excellent player they're they're always right for picking off in january and like you said especially because we're in such a good position it looks like our premiership survival premiership premier league uh is uh, is assured for this season um so we are in an attractive proposition and we can pay not the top wages, but uh, we're, we're starting to to get a bit more competitive in that sense. Yeah, that's a really good point, and I'm really glad you picked up on the the, the spending market that we're in because we've we've shown, you know, the the the, the board have backed Dutch and they have been sensible, but they have built on their um, spending sprees, haven't they? In each transfer window, each one getting stronger and stronger, um, and I think it does make it a much easier sell to this board if we know that. I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but we've, surely we're safe this season. We've got 25 points on the board, five wins, and we're at that magic 40 mark. So, and we're what, the first weekend of, Jan- of December? So, you know, the board's got to be looking at that in January and thinking that even if we've got to fork out 15 million, we should be assured of another Premier League um, windfall next season. So, I, I definitely agree with that. And I, 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 w- I think I'm, I think I fall more on the, um, argument for buying a replacement um, and, and just basically having that competition on the side because that can only make us stronger. Plus, of course, next season we're going on a European adventure, so we're going to need more players. We can rotate a squad when we're in the Europa League. So there you go. I'll I'll, I'll say if anything good came out of the uh, the Leicester game, it's the just a bit of damp water on that notion. <laughs> What's that? That we're not going to get into Europe? I think so. Yeah. Oh, Daniel. Honestly, don't be raining on my parade. I'm getting excited. I'm, I'm, I'm getting my passport ready. I want to, I want to see Berlin, Europe. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to that, to that little uh, dream, I guess. Um, so let's move away from the Premier League fixtures that week and uh, take a very short break before we come to look at the next home game this weekend against Watford. To very, very briefly talk about the FA Cup third round draw, which, as we are recording on Monday night, has just taken place. I'm sorry, listeners. I would love to be enthusiastic and I would love to be all happy and excited, but I'm so disappointed with that draw. Burnley have drawn Manchester City away. Ugh. It's just, I really, really wanted, regular listeners will know this about me. Every year I want to win everything that's going. And I was really, really looking forward to a very deep FA Cup run this season, especially with our Premier League season going as well as it has. I thought this was a perfect opportunity to try and have a really deep run in the Cup. And maybe why not chase some silverware? And unless City play their 
sixth team or whatever, then I think Burnley may find themselves going out of the FA Cup, especially if Darch himself doesn't want to prioritise it. Um, So I guess immediate reactions from both of you. James, we'll start with you. Give me your gut feeling on the FA Cup third round draw. That makes it a little bit easier to concentrate on the league, I think, doesn't it? But we don't need to concentrate on the league. This is my point. Surely, surely we've got to be more excited about a cup run. If we were, if we were in, say, Palace's position and we were really struggling and we were in the bottom three, then absolutely, I'd feel, yeah, send the, the squad players out there and it doesn't matter. We don't need to concentrate on the league. We're, we're going to be maybe, safe. Maybe are you not? Maybe if cool? we drew on Palace, I'd, I'd take that that, that view. Uh, can you see as well? Uh, I mean, Go on. yes, because anything can happen on on any given day. Um, you know, we, we, <laughs> we've beat beat people in the past, but it's going to be a big ask. The the way City are playing, they they look incredible this season. Um, and you know, they, I'm sure they'll change the side up a little bit. They'll probably play a few of the kids, but it's still going to be incredibly difficult for us to to go there and, and come away yeah. with a result. I, I think it's really the worst possible draw we could have had. Um, you know, oh, when you God, consider yeah, all sorry. the teams that are in the draw at the, the third round stage, it's pretty unlucky to to draw the, you know, the the, the top yeah. form team in the country uh, for the third round. Um, I, I just think it'll, it'll be very difficult. I, I'd I'd love to to be wrong and see us, you know, go there and get something. And I, I don't think it's beyond the realms oh, of possibility. But I think you know, being realistic, it, it's it's one that's probably not going to be for us this season, uh, unfortunately. And it, oh, so as I said, it, it gives us the opportunity to, to use those uh, weekends when we, we could have been playing in the FA Cup um, and we won't end up having a fixture to yeah, to rest the players and, you know, make sure that injuries can't hurt our small squad because if we had a gap like that at the moment, we, we might Correct. have been talking about Matt Lawton not having missed a game at all. And, you know, considering the player he's been so far this season, I, I think you'd, you'd like those sort of opportunities just to, to give players with niggles a little, a little rest. Mm, yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think uh, I, I don't think Pep. You know, you say the City might play a couple of kids. If it, I think if they do, it will be a couple of kids, like literally two. Um, Pep is going to take this very seriously. I think the he always took the Copa del Rey in Spain uh, very seriously and won many doubles and, and triples at, at Barcelona. So he, he's definitely going to want that uh, domestic double um, and will play a strong side. And, you know, like you said, anything can happen, but uh, this City side is something very special. And uh, and they've, they've taken us once already this season and uh, I wouldn't put money against them doing it again. Well, I'm really glad I brought this up with you too. You completely barrel of laughs about it. Yeah, I was hoping one of you would cheer me up and say, no, it's a great draw. We're going to beat them and we'll have got the worst possible draw out of the way in the third round and we've got an easy ride to the final. But I, no, I do suspect you're both right. Um, this isn't if- I'll say, oh, I'll, sorry, I will say the only, the, only, the only positive thing to that is that it's a sign of the respect that I think Pep has for Burnley that he will play yeah, a strong true. side. And and our successful cup runs, the the League Cup in two thousand nine or two thousand eight, whatever it was, um, that was when Burnley were just an unknown quantity, and these Premier League sides just didn't know who we were, didn't know how we played, and we and we, we caught them off guard. Uh, and we are now a known quantity, and Pep Guardiola knows exactly what Burnley's about. He's seen us play, he's beat us. Uh, and I think he will show us a, a decent level of respect. So uh, that, that's one positive to take is is there's the, the best coach in the world takes Burnley very, very seriously and will, and will play a strong side against us. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't know how many people have seen it, but there was quite an interesting clip circulating Twitter this week from uh, Robinson, who was in a panel at one of the games and was basically saying that after the game last season, when obviously he was still with this side, uh, Pep had c- come into the dressing room after the game and had told Sean Dyche that he was the first manager in his career who he didn't know how to play against. He said, I, I didn't know how to play back at you. And, and I think that's a huge compliment to Sean Dyche. And, and like you say, uh, you know, it's a testament to how well we've progressed in the last couple of years that we're having sides of this city side, you know, take us so seriously. 
Um, so let's let's leave that disappointment there, and I will I'll have my FA Cup dreams just shelved for the season until next season when we're playing the Europa League. And let's move on to Watford, which is the game this weekend, which is actually at the moment very much looking like a battle for seventh place. Um, James, what do you expect from the game on Saturday? Do you think it's going to be a good battle? Do you think it's going to be um, maybe a good challenge? What What are your views? I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a you know a tough fixture. I think Watford have have played really well so far this season. They've um, they've maybe outperformed some people's expectations. They've had some very really good results. Um, it, it's going to be interesting, I think, to to see what happens. You know, they they're in a similar position as a team that at the beginning of the season people were probably thinking it'd be um, you know bottom half. Uh, Probably in their case, people probably expected a little bit higher than uh, they expected from us. But we've we've been the two surprise packages, I'd say, probably from the start of the season. Uh, and you know, we've both got into December looking really strong in the top ten. Um, we're still, you know, five points clear of nine. In fact, even after you know defeat at Leicester, which I think, if you take if you'd been told that at the beginning of the season, you would have uh, probably not believed it. So. Um, to, to be seeing it as a, a, a game that's a battle for seventh, um, potentially in our, in our case, even a, a battle for us to, to get back above Tottenham into sixth, it, it's just uh, in, incredible. Um, obviously, they're a team who've spent a lot of money. Um, I, I don't think they've necessarily seen the the full benefits of, of what they've spent so far. Um, obviously, Andre Gray, we all know quite well, it, he's not quite... Um, scored the number of goals you might have expected he's not necessarily played a lot of football um, but I think that also shows the difference between the two clubs um, the fact they were able to to go and spend 18 million on uh, Andre and not necessarily start him every game um, just just shows that you know they've they've got quite a, quite a bit of money and they're happy to spend quite a bit of money where we still, even though we have now started spending um, some serious money, money that a lot of Burnley fans probably never dreamed we'd spend, um, we, we've show, still shown for the most part what we bring in is, is sort of first choice material um, and we don't spend sort of 18 million on people who we're going to place on the bench for you know half of our games. Um, I'm expecting a, a battle. It's going to be interesting. It's, it's one back at the turf and I think it's a, a good opportunity to... To, to get a good win um, on the back of a, a a disappointing game at the turf last time where I think we deserve something from it and obviously we're robbed late on um, and potentially as well that the crowd might be uh, really up for it having seen that game last at, at the turf so uh, it's going to be an interesting one and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to being there and, and seeing it it should be a good game yeah, I'm really looking forward to the game on on Saturday. I think it's like you say. I think Watford were, were perhaps tipped for greater things than us this season, especially with some of the the signing and when they took Andre off us. Don't forget as well. Um, and and actually going into this game, we're sitting above them in the league. Yeah, it's close, but you know we're doing better than they are this season. Um, Daniel, final thoughts from you on the uh, Watford game on Saturday. What are you expecting? Narratives. <laughs> I think this is a great one. For- I think this is a great one for the uh, the fans of the football narrative. Uh, you've got uh, Daesh, who was spurned by Watford, uh, to the chagrin of many fans. He's still very much loved there. A lot of Watford fans still upset that uh, the, the board ditched Daesh when they did, and they've had a, a managerial roller coaster since then that's only just now seems to be settled. And then you have yeah on the uh, the return of uh, Andre to Turf Moor and uh, the reception he'll get. Uh, I don't think he'll get a good one. Um, it's he was a very good player for us, but I don't think he ever fell into that uh, real beloved category. And uh, I think whenever a player moves for a, a similar level club, uh, fans always take that as sort of a slight. Uh, if they if they move on to a, a much bigger club, then I, I think uh, no fans really quibble with that. And but I, I feel like there's just a couple of nice little storylines. Will Will Andre score? Will Daesh get a, a a good win over Watford? I think it'll be a fun game. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be entertaining. Two teams that play uh, good football, 
um, about the same level in the league. I think it's, I think they're, like you said, they're about the the, the closest to us uh, in terms of another club. And um, I think it'll be a, a real battle. Indeed. And I cannot think of a better place to end this week's podcast. A game of narratives. That's what we're all expecting at Turf Moor on Saturday. And I cannot wait. Um, that's all for, um, from us this week. Um, we will be back after the Watford game with our summary of what did happen in that game of narratives. Thanks again to James and to Daniel for joining me this evening and for, for putting their thoughts together to this podcast. And um, thanks to Adam, our producer, who will be editing this week's show. But thanks as ever to you, the listener, for downloading and listening this week we would not be here without you so your support is very very much appreciated i've been natalie bromley this has been the none and ever podcast until next time this time last year it is well i've i've definitely been lowton's most critical um harsh critic sorry on this podcast but i have to say i wouldn't go as far as to say i've been completely disgusted with him and there have been some games where he has played all right and i have given him credit where credit's due now now, looking at it, and we've called out for maybe Flanagan to come in and see what he's made of, Lawton is the best right-back option that we have at the club. So, unless we're going to spend a lot of money on a replacement, he has to play and he has to play every single week. And we're going to have to accept that there are going to be some games where he's a bit poor and sometimes against certain um, games, sorry, certain teams in this league that he's going to get caught for pace or he's going to get caught out of position. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.